Um, well, again, just to welcome to everyone, and uh, thanks for making the time and uh, long journeys for some of you. Uh, I trust this is going to be a very helpful couple of days together. Uh, just in this first session, um, I just wanted to look a little bit at the relationship between apostolic and prophetic, and um, just perhaps in half an hour or so, just to try and go through just some observations uh, that I've, and some philosophy of ministry, I suppose, some, some um, convictions I've come to over the years, uh, hopefully just to sort of put my little bit into the jigsaw that then Mike and the rest of the team will build on over the, the two days. In um, Ephesians 2, 20 to 22, Paul talks about the church being built, but he says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So obviously everything flows from Christ, but in the economy of God, his church is built then primarily, foundationally, upon those ministries of apostle and prophet working together along with all the other ministries. Uh, but those two are quite significant together in the foundational stages. And without going into all the commentaries and all the rest of it, um, for the sake of time, I'm utterly convinced theologically that he's not talking about Old Testament prophets and he's not talking about just the 12 apostles. He's talking about what he refers to then in chapter 4, just a few couple of chapters later, where he talks about when Christ ascended, it was he who gave some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. He's talking about the same ascension gifts that Christ has given to his church for the church's maturing, founding, flourishing, nurturing. That has always been God's way of building his local church, even through church history where the term apostle and prophet might have got lost and people say they didn't believe in those things and all the rest of it. The thing is, because these are gifts of the ascended Christ, he's given them whether people know that's what they are or not. And you can find through church history people actually doing the, these works even though they didn't believe in them. Or they would call them something else, you know, call them pastor or something. These gifts have always been in operation through the church. Uh, our role is to try and nurture, encourage, and give, give framework for these gifts to function so we get the maximum benefit out of what the gifts are intended to be. They are people. It's not a technique. Uh, Jesus isn't building his church on a technique of prophecy. He's building on prophets uh, or a technique of apostolic ministry. It's on people. And so we've got to, we've got to let the, the sort of uh, means of grace that that Christ is giving to us be fully functional in the church. So I'm just going to go through a few observations I've made over the years, just a few convictions. I've been very blessed all through my Christian life to have a very close relationship to prophetic ministry, not because I sought it, but because it sought, it, sought me. Uh, I can remember when I became a Christian around about, I've been a Christian about a year or so, I was about 18 or 19 at the time, and... Um, Where's Adam Voke? Just wave at me. Where are you? There you are. Uh, Adam's grandfather, Stanley Voke, was visiting our church, uh, and um, he preached over an Easter weekend. And he, all I can say is his preach prophesied into my life. It was just was extraordinary, arresting of God. 
And I remember one, one, after one of the sessions, he just walked past me, and I was just sitting on the chair, and he just tapped me on the shoulder. And he said, just simply this, he said, the hand of God is on your life. And now I'd never, you know, I'd, I'd never, I was only a young Christian, I didn't know anything about it, but it wasn't like someone just saying the words. What happened in that moment was he, he drew destiny out of me. And prophecy, whether it's to do with corporate words to a local church or to a whole family of churches, or whether it's to do with an individual, it draws destiny out of us. That is, that is what it does. It ignites things that God has already put in there uh, by, by promise. And um, all through my Christian life, then I had the joy of, of being alongside Keith Hazel for you know, 25, 30 years of his uh, kind of constant example of the prophetic uh, working alongside us. And I, I think, um, if I can describe how I think prophetic and apostolic work together, it's this. David Pawson brought this original example, but I've embellished it a little bit. And he said, like, a prophet is someone who's, like, in a, in a jungle where you can't see where you're going. There's a tall tree in the middle of the jungle, and the prophet's climbed up the tree, and he's at the top of the tree, and he's shouting to everybody down below there, it's over there, it's over there. And everybody down on the ground is shouting up, saying, how do we get there? And the prophet shouts down, I've got no idea, <laughs> but it's over there, it's over there. And where I think apostolic ministry comes in is, is apostolic ministry has the grace on the ground to hear it's over there and has the grace to find the way through the undergrowth to where God is directing. So prophets have the grace to hear what to do. Apostles have the grace of God to actually implement it. Not through technique or lead, leadership is a different thing. It's a grace to actually break through things that are by the Spirit. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a grace gift that way. So I think that's, that's the kind of dynamic Paul, I think, is thinking about when he's talking here about the church being built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. He's all, apostles are also the ones who... They're the ones who give identity to the people of God. They're, they're, they're the ones who put the gospel in, in terms of um, uh, uh, drawing out the identity of God's people around the doctrines of grace, uh, giving people an identity as the people of God, helping them move from here to there, not just as a, a strategy, but as an identity. It's about uh, prophecy helps us come into our identity, not just our strategy. It's, it's, uh, it draws the gospel to its fullness. Um, so it's, it's not just about technique. It, it is about knowing more who we are. It, it, it's that kind of dynamic that happens between prophetic and apostolic together. So, so apostles give definition and shape to the body of Christ uh, in terms of preaching and foundations, prophets, define the direction. Um, so just a few other thoughts I've got. These are not in any particular order. They're just things I just kind of uh, noted down, uh, just that hopefully will be of help. A comment about providence and promises, just to make this point, because when God speaks prophetically, there can sometimes be years before it comes about. Um, I think of Paul on the road to Damascus being saved and in Acts, um, Acts 9 you find where Ananias is told to prophesy to him and um, through that interaction Paul hears that he's called to the Gentiles, he hears how much he must suffer for the name of Christ and he hears that he will one day stand before kings 
This is just a few days, or a few, well, a few, a short while, don't exactly know, but a, few, a short while after his conversion. Now, it's not until Acts 26, many years later, that he finds himself before King Agrippa, which is kind of the fulfillment of what Ananias said to him just a few moments, a few, you know, in that season when he first saved. It's years later. And so he says to King Agrippa, you know, I count it a joy to stand before you. And I don't think that's because he was pleased to be in the company of, you know, uh, a celebrity. I think it's because he's thinking back to what God had said to him years ago. And he even says, I've not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. He's thinking of what he'd seen and heard. He's thinking back to what God had laid into his life um, prophetically. And he's lived his whole life in the light of the prophetic foundations that have been put into him. So as an apostle, he's, he's, he's given himself to outworking as best as he could uh, the calling. And you find that then Agabus and other, other prophetic instances, Paul says, many times the Lord keeps telling me that trouble and hardship await me. He, he's kind of getting this repeated theme. There's a repeated theme coming into the life of this apostolic man as he's on the journey. And I, I think it's true to say that God probably over each of us will have a familiar life message that he just keeps re, re-saying it in different ways. And over us as churches and over us as a family of churches, God will continue to say the same things in different ways to keep us on the journey. Uh, he doesn't go this way, then that way. You know, there is a, there is a thing that he's got in his mind. Uh, overall, the destiny is the same. But what I find is that Sometimes it can be really difficult kind of knowing exactly what the Lord is up to. Have you ever noticed that? Um, And I've very helped by Psalm 77, verse 19, where it says this of the Lord. It says, Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. And what he's saying there is, God, you did have a plan. You were taking us on a journey. There was a direction. There was something very intentional about what you were doing. But your way was like through the sea. We couldn't see your footprints. So how many of you feel that you can't often feel the footprints of God when he said things? You think, well, where's the footprints? Uh, you know, I can see, yeah, okay, I know we've got to get over there, through the sea, got to get over there, but can't see the footprints. And I think that's where we have to balance providence and promises together. And two examples from Scripture would be Abraham and Gideon. Now, Abraham, it says, against all hope, believed God. He, he, he trusted God that even though his body was as good as dead, God had the, the power to do what he'd promised. But then he kind of had this wavering moment where he thought, well, perhaps I'll help a little bit by going with Hagar and producing. So perhaps that's God's way of doing it. Perhaps that's what God meant. It wasn't what God meant. He'd kind of run ahead because he couldn't see the footprints. He, he, he was trying to find the footprints and made a few of his own footprints, and they weren't God's footprints. So he kind of he went the wrong way a bit. And Gideon uh, gets this kind of you know mighty man, uh, and he said, who are you talking to? It's not clearly can't be me. And he's he's he knows he knows he's heard God, but he's racked with a lack of or a lack of confidence or self doubt. So he keeps asking for confirmation and confirm. And how many of us kind of say, Lord, give me one more word, just just one more word, you know? And this, we we can be torn with those kinds of things where we have promise, but we we don't always understand 
how providence works because God's footprints often are in the sea and therefore hidden from us. And uh, John Flavel, uh, I love this quote in, in uh, his book, the, providence of, the Mystery of God's Providence. He says from, about Amos chapter 3, says where it says, uh, can two walk together unless they're agreed? And he said, God's promises and God's providence are friends. And when they appear to separate and go in other directions, you can be sure that they will meet up again at journey's ends because they are friends and there's an agreement between them to do so. And I think that just really helps us to understand, now, even when you can't see the footprints, perhaps as a local church you've got promises over you. Really, you really know, no, God has spoken, or over your individual life, God's spoken. You're utterly convinced God has spoken prophetically to you. It's foundational to who you are, what you do, what you're aiming for, but you can't see the footprints at the moment. You, you just can't see how it's all working out. Well, trust in God's providence as much as you trust in his promises, because both are utterly reliable. God doesn't say things and then not do them, and he doesn't promise grace and then not deliver. Right? He, he is utterly reliable both in his promises and his providence. Um, the next thing to do with prophecy is, I think, uh, as we shall do shortly, is to pray it into being. When God speaks to us, it's not so that we open the drawer and file it under P for prophecy, and then 10 years later think, oh, yeah, wasn't there something said about that? And then you blow the dust off. Oh, look at that. Isn't that amazing? That happened. That's so... That's like having a Ferrari and parking it in the garage. It's just a waste. Prophecy is meant to be the fuel upon which we pray. When God speaks, it's not so we say, great, let's wait and see that happen. It's so that we press in and we pray it in and we pray it in and we don't let go of God until he does it. It gives us actually something to wrestle him with. God wants us to wrestle him. We're too weak with God in our prayer. We, we, God tells us things because he wants us to then lay hold of him and say, come on, you said, you said. He, he, he's, he's trying to train us as sons and daughters who have some kind of backbone to play and wrestle with our father knowing that he, he wants us to just kind of really believe him and take him, take him at his word. He likes that. It's not irreverent to wrestle with God over things he's said. It's actually rather insulting to him to kind of be a little bit, well, let's just wait and see. No, don't wait and see. He's given us great and precious promises, and we press in, not only in Scripture, but also where God speaks prophetically and we're so, we weigh it and we know it we're really sure this is an ongoing thing we can pray into um, then we pray it in we pray in the direction and we keep praying in until something happens and we may have to pray for some things for years we may have to pray for some things for years so the prophetic needs praying in and, and it positions us ready for God to act when Elijah said it's going to rain he kind of, he crouched, even though it was as still as dry as a bone, clear skies, he crouched down because he knew it was going to rain. He positioned himself appropriate to what God had promised, even though he's waiting providentially for the outworking of it. So if God has spoken to us, we have to position ourselves appropriately to the providence we anticipate, whatever that looks like.
Next thing is with the prophetic and the apostolic is that we need to work it in. It's hard work. It takes a long time. It takes great skill. Prophecy isn't a shortcut to hard work. All it tells you is where to work hard. Right? It's not, oh, great. Thanks, God. No, it's actually giving us an agenda. Uh, if we did not have a prophetic agenda as a family of churches, I would be really worried, and so should you be. Because all the best we would do is picking out some people who look reasonably intelligent, sticking them in a room with a flip chart and say, what do you think we should do? <laughs> that, I'm not interested in that. I'm really not. I want to hear what God wants us to do. And then go with it. But it doesn't mean that we don't work hard at it. It means we then strategize around what he said. Paul was very responsive in Acts to whenever... You know, a door closed here, a door closed there. This didn't happen, but he said, we concluded, and then they went this way. They, they, they were constantly changing their strategy according to the, the providential workings of God within the bigger framework. We, we've got to be those who, whenever we have meetings, uh, even if you, it, back at home base, if you have elders meetings or leadership teams meetings, whatever ministry you're involved in, let the prophetic be the thing that's shaping your strategy. That don't, don't shape it around good ideas. Shape it around what God said. And if you don't know what God said, well, find out what he's saying before you do anything. Otherwise, you only have to possibly backpedal and unpick it all. We want to be those who, who learn to only do what we see the Father doing. I mean, there is a clue in what Jesus said to us. He said, I only do what I see the Father doing. That is kind of an instruction to us. So we, we, where, we, where we see him doing things, we then get stuck in and we do it. So in 2 Timothy 4.16, where Paul's uh, in giving instructions to Timothy, uh, he says to him, um, he says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me, may, may it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Now what, uh, and then in verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Now what he's saying is, even when I had no one and no resources, no people, nothing going on that would encourage me or keep me able to do what God had called me to do, the Lord strengthened me. So his first, his first port of call to do anything God has asked him to do. It's not that he's wanting to be a loner. He's just wanting to put his, his reliance in the right place. I thank God that we're doing this together. right? But our security is not in our togetherness. Our security is in the Lord. Because it's the Lord from which the togetherness comes. And Paul, even when he lost all the resources and all the people, he said, no, the Lord stood by me, and he will stand by me. How did he, why did he know that? Because he knew what God had called him to do. And he said, no, the Lord will somehow make this work out. I like these aspects of, of, the, of the nature of Christ that we have to, work, we have to be like ox-like, where we, we, we work hard, we have a servant heart. We have to be lion-like, where we have authority and courage. We have to be eagle-like, where we have prophetic perspective and vision and discernment and we have to be lamb-like where we're humble meek and very vulnerable all of those things we see in the life of jesus and they're be they're a beautiful portrait of godly manhood or womanhood they're, be they're beautiful beautiful things 
Next is um, about uh, patience and perseverance. You know, it's good for us to, to have to be kind of trained in the school of patience. Uh, it's, it's all part of how God develops us uh, in Romans 5, uh, verse 4. It says, endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope doesn't put us to shame. See, hope really is a very, is a golden commodity. Hope means whatever else is going on, I am utterly confident in who God is and what he's said. And what God wants to do is produce in us such God-like character, Christ-like character, that we are utterly hopeful that whatever God has for us, he will do. Next thing, just a few more things, is uh, to do with apostolic and prophetic, is the need for team. Do you know, I've realized something in the Christian life and in leadership. I can't do it on my own. Right? That's one of the most important lessons to ever learn. I can't do it on my own. It's not that, well, I can kind of do it on my own, but having other people helps. No, I can't do it on my own. And do you know what? Neither can you. So don't try. Don't, don't, don't try to live as if, well, yeah, I could do it. I, I, you know, I, I kind of think I could do it. No, you can't. I've, I've realized that whenever God wants to really use you in the fullness of the destiny on your life, he will always call you into something that it is not possible for you to do on your own. It all depends how big a prize you want, really. We can settle for what's manageable and achievable, or we can go for the, the three lemons on the jackpot and think, no, I'll go for the thing that I can't do unless God helps me and unless others help me. I was reflecting on this the other day that, you know, I need other, the gifts of other people in the room, perspective and ideas and discernment and wisdom. I, I can't do anything. I can't make a good decision on my own. Can you? It's not possible. It might, we might think we can, but we can't. We, it's not good for man to be alone. So apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, we all need each other and every other leadership gift, every other ministry gift. We, we, we cannot be islands of self-sufficiency. It will Somehow within our culture, we, we've got this mistaken notion that dependency equals weakness. That is a complete contradiction to the kingdom of God. Because you can't even become a Christian without becoming utterly dependent on someone else. Every day we live, we are utterly dependent on his grace. So why start in the spirit and then carry on in the flesh? It's utterly nonsense. We are incapable of producing anything of value for God without the dynamic of other people around us, without whom it just will not happen to the extent that God intends it to. I've had to we've had to learn that as a couple because often there's been uh, various circumstances where we've been somewhat restricted physically, health and all the rest of it. And I've learned to come to the point where I say, Lord, I can't actually do this, not just without you, but I can't do this without other people. Just can't do it. And that's actually a very freeing place because no longer does it actually matter whether you look as if you can do it or not. You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. All that matters is am I faithfully being 
servant-hearted and obedient to what God's called me to, the, to do to the best of my ability. That, that's actually what matters, not whether I'm capable. So this, this whole family of churches is a celebration of inca- uh, lack of capability. <laughs> right? if, you are, if you feel capable, I will pray for you later. <laughs> because you are not. We will deal with then with all your insecurities because of being hurt by the fact you're not capable. But it's kindness. Uh, just a couple of other then features about the DNA of prophecy amongst us. These are kind of a collection of bits and pieces, and Mike and the team will um, unpack these further. I'm just kind of, you know, wetting your appetite a little bit. Um, where to start? Prophecy is, is a bit like um, fire. So in, our, in one of the rooms in our house, we had a little... A little wood burner put in. I love the old wood burner in the winter. It's great. It's the only good thing about winter, as far as I'm concerned, is my wood burner. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just sit there looking at this wood burner. And because the fire is in the wood burner, it's safe, it gives heat, it does what fire should do. If that same fire was in the middle of the carpet in that room, it wouldn't be such a blessing, would it? Because what was the protection needed for the fire to do its job would have been removed. When it comes to prophecy, there are protections that we put around so that the, the fire, the prophetic fire, does its job. It heats the room, it's nice to look at, it warms your heart, does you good. So prophecy will only ever strengthen, encourage, or console. Right? It will never be heavy. It will never make you feel worse than you did before you heard it. Never. Even if there's something corrective to be brought sometimes. Keith used to say, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. But there's always a sense in which even if you're having to bring some adjustment to someone, you can do it in a way that makes them feel better at the end of it. Right? It, it will always make you feel better. It will always, there's safeguards around it. It's not weird. Right? If you're weird, stop it. Right? <laughs> I... I, 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 I it's not funny and it's not clever. It really isn't. It's, you don't have to be weird. You can be practical, you can be clear, you can be easily understood. No penguins flying backwards, please. It's not necessary. It's releasing and it will make you feel better. Prophecy is not meant to be something that is Gnostic. Like Gnosticism was this very thing that made people think, oh, that person is in a different realm to me spiritually. Now, you can apply Gnosticism at all sorts of levels. And while we want to be people of the Spirit, you know, you can be a man or woman of the Spirit sitting at the table eating a meal with someone just as much as you can when the glory falls and we're all on the floor, right? There's not anything that's more spiritual than someone else, something else, yeah? I mean, do you agree with that? Because all of life is sanctified as far as I'm concerned. So we don't need to be mystical to be relevant or to be full of God. Now, if God happens to do something that's weird to us, those of you around in the sort of Toronto days, that was weird, right? And if, that, if all that happens again, great. That's fine. No problem with that. I, I've got no problem with when God does strange things. It's just got to be God that initiates it and not us thinking that somehow that, ha- that is a, a marker that, it comes, that what we're saying is coming with greater weight. Right? It's, it doesn't have to have a, an attendant circumstance for it to have weight. It can be 
some of the most powerful prophetic encounters I've ever had have taken place in, in a cafe or around a dinner table or just sitting in someone's lounge, just having a conversation. And the power of God just... You know the power of God is in the room. So let's, let's kind of, you know, be, we want to be just open to authentic, authenticity. That's the thing. It's about being authentic. Um, and just a couple of things about weighing prophecy. I think um, weighing prophecy, I think, is a, is a process, not a one-off event. Right, because sometimes you need time to, to see what's going on. Sometimes you need other prophetic things to, to uh, confirm. Uh, I do think prophets amongst us play a big part in weighing prophecy for us corporately. I think that's a, a key role. It's when it talks about pro- prophet, someone prophesying and then uh, the others weighing. I think it's primarily talking about those with greater measure of gift in being able to weigh and discern. doesn't mean they do it for everybody. It just means they perhaps take a lead in that. And they're, they're able to sort of help kind of discern uh, what, what is the, what's the, 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 the grain of truth that's, that's being said here. I think it's important, as, I, as I've said, that eldership teams, if you've had prophetic words for your church or uh, for, for something that God wants to do, don't, don't write it down and then file it away. Keep referring to it, building on it. Refer to it when you preach. Refer to it in the prayer meetings. Keep it before the people um, so that we don't, we don't despise prophecy. That's really, I think, what despising prophecy means. It's not taking any notice of it rather than saying, oh, that was rubbish, because probably none of us would say that was rubbish because we believe in it. But despising it is not valuing it. See, if genuinely we believe the church is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, then we should prize the apostolic and we should prize the prophetic very, very highly. We want to be a prophetic people. And the, the last thing I'll say here, which um, Mike certainly is going to expand much more, but I just want to add my voice to it, is that we were, we were very blessed to have many years of the incredible stature of a Keith Hazel. Now he's in glory. And our challenge now is to raise up another generation of people who, if we are going to be a movement, we have to multiply. I mean, the Bible says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces more. There's got to be something multipliable out of what we saw in Keith's life. We're not just waiting for the next version of Keith. Otherwise, we will just plateau, right? So, so, so it's not like kind of finding like for like. This, I believe God in this season is wanting us to focus on the longer-term principles we've got to put in place now to get fruit rather than immediate, rather than an immediate thing. We're, we're, we're seeding a field. How big do you want the field? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? We can go for a quick replacement solution, or we can see a forest and say, you know, we don't just want a tall tree, we want a forest, which takes longer to get there. But I think if we really want to let, as it were, Keith's seed be through the nations and what he represents, as I would say, those with apostolic gifting amongst them, I'm just not, we're not just looking in relational mission and all the other spheres for Terry replacements, kind of scaled down versions. What I'm looking for is multiplying lots of apostles 
because I want a field, I don't want a window box. Yeah? I want a field. And it's, me it's messy and it's complicated and it's somewhat organic, but I want the bigger prize, don't you? I want the bigger prize, which means you have to go for something, you have to invest in something to get something out, perhaps that comes a bit later.